0: December 4th, 1991, Uh, I left my house here as I usually do at 7, 7, 10 in the morning.
1: For Glendale arson investigator John Orr, December 4th, 1991, began like just another Wednesday.
0: As I was walking the trunk of my car, I looked towards my neighbor's house, and here's a guy standing in the driveway uh, behind a, a cypress bush. He had a gun in his hand. Of course, that got my attention right away. And I also was carrying my duty gun on my left ankle. And so my first thought was to, you know, analyze what's going on here and then go for my gun. At that time, I then heard a car pull into my driveway about 25, 30 feet away and saw that it was a black and white LAPD unit with two uniform guys getting out of it. So I started to back off a little bit, feeling that Okay, they're here in response to the man with a gun call next door at my neighbor's house. I remember looking up and seeing about 18 or 20 guys converging on my car and my front porch and my wife just kind of standing there. You know, three seconds into this scenario, I heard a voice yelling my name. John, don't move, you're under arrest.
1: I'm Carrie Antholis and this is Firebug. Southern California was being beat to death with fires.
2: We really felt that this was tied to one suspect.
1: We have something you don't have, a fingerprint.
2: He said, I have a hit on your fingerprint. And well, it's someone you may know.
0: They gave me the name, John Orr. If he did it, let's get his butt off the streets.
2: I was reading my case in a novel written by my suspect. This was not fiction. This was evidence.
1: Chapter 6, The Novelist
2: Well, it was a huge relief once he was arrested.
1: ATF agent April Carroll and her colleagues had been preparing for this moment for months. John Orr was finally in custody.
2: As he was being led to the interrogation room, we walked him past the wall of John. Aerial photos, crime scene photographs, evidence photographs. To try to influence and guilt him into talking to us because of how much incredible evidence we had to influence him into being proud enough to want to own it. And then the interrogation room had other pieces of evidence and things we knew about John and about the case.
1: ATF agents would have just one chance to interrogate Orr. The objective was to get a confession. But interrogating a member of law enforcement can be tricky.
2: The preparation for the interview was extensive. We had behavioral science representatives weeks ahead of time discussing how we could best get into his head and encourage him to talk to us, who would be best, who would not be good to participate in that interview. To have it be a colleague was not a good idea. To have it be someone that John knew was not a good idea. It was not a good idea to have it be a woman. The most frustrating part of that interview was that Larry Cornelison was our our supervisor at the time, and he threw all that out the window and decided he was going to do the interview.
1: This is audio from the actual interrogation of Orr. The quality is bad, but you can hear ATF agent Larry Cornelison listing the fires Orr is suspected of starting. Hancock Fabrics, Fresno... Kraft Mart, Bakersfield, Hancock Fabrics, Bakersfield. Here's John Orr talking about that day.
0: They interviewed me for about 20, maybe 30 minutes tops. And it was a, a very inept interview.
1: Cornelison asked Orr, why'd you do this shit? Here,
0: they said, we know you did it all. Why did you do it? Where did my life go wrong to where I became this... Crazy arsonist burning the state of California down. That, the, the only word I remember throughout that whole 20 to 30 minutes was, Why? Why did you do it? And that, that was basically the vein they took, as if I knew what the hell they were talking about.
1: Orr responds, He says, Larry, I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it.
3: was just quite
2: the whole time.
1: Quite frankly, Cornelison says, I'd like you to just cop out to the whole thing. He tells Orr that they have loads of evidence, including a fingerprint.
0: At that point, I just didn't know how to react. I started analyzing my body language. I was thinking, how would an innocent guy be reacting here? How should I be sitting? Uh, Should I be protecting my middle as as an innocent person would? And then I just thought to myself, this is bullshit. I am innocent. Why are these assholes doing this to me?
1: That's when Cornelison took out a piece of evidence that they found in the search of Orr's home, a letter he had written to a literary agency, a letter you might remember from episode one. My
0: novel, Points of Origin, is a fact based work that follows the pattern of an actual arsonist who has been setting serial fires in California over the past eight years. He has not been identified or apprehended. Probably will not be in the near future. That's when they first told me that the book was a big part of the investigation.
1: Cornelison opened Points of Origin to Chapter 6, which details a deadly fire at a hardware store called Cal's, a fire that looked a lot like the real fire at Ole's home center.
0: And I said, the oldest fire, what the hell are you talking about? He said, you wrote about it in your book. And that's when I said, in my book? I mean, this arrest thing has something to do with my book? And then he went real serious and told me about it. They said that, you know, there's charges of murder pending against you too. That's when I started to go downhill, and that interview was, these fucking guys are nuts, you know, basing an investigation on a fictional novel. I just knew that this thing was going to get blown way the hell out of proportion and it had already happened. And I was just pissed. These guys are just totally destroying me, my career, my life, my family. And I wanted to strike out. And I wanted to yell and I wanted to scream, but I just told them this bullshit, you're on a fishing expedition and I know it. And I said, get me out of here, I want to get this procedure going, I want to get bail and get the hell out of here. They were hoping for a confession, but they got the wrong guy.
2: Also in the news this morning, a high-ranking fire department official in Glendale, California, is being held without bail, charged with arson. Captain John Orr is accused of setting at least three fires in the Los Angeles area.
1: I was sitting at home doing whatever. This is Jim Allen. In episode one, he investigated the scene of the Ole's Fire with Orr.
0: Phone rings. A colleague told me John Orr had just been arrested. It felt like somebody kicked me in the stomach. In California tonight, a bizarre ending to an arson mystery that's been going on for years.
1: Best I can recall, I think I was at home and I heard it on the news. Doug Stobbs, who chased the coin tosser with ore in episode two.
0: Yeah, and I was like, are you kidding me? David Dow reports on the surprise suspect accused of playing with fire.
1: And I saw him taking him out of his house. I was in shock. (laughs) How's it all? I had no clue. At a fire in Bakersfield, investigators found a fingerprint they later matched to Orr. And as the news spread across the state, it reached Bakersfield arson investigator Marvin Casey, who found the fingerprint in episode three.
0: It kind of disappointed me because I had put so much into the case. I wish I could have at least been there to interview him. I'd love to sit down across from John Orr and say, hey,
1: what's going on here? Back in Los Angeles, word of John Orr's arrest reached someone else. Me. Remember in episode one how I was in my car on my way to a meeting and I heard a news bulletin over the radio?
2: Captain John Orr is a veteran arson investigator for the Glendale Fire Department in California. He's charged with setting several fires. I was just
1: a 28-year-old kid at the time, trying to make my name as a storyteller. And it seemed like John Orr was just trying to do the same.
2: He's also the author of an unpublished novel about an arson investigator.
1: I showed up to my meeting with that story rattling in my head. And I ended up nervously pitching it to big-time producer Sheila Nevins. You might remember this voice.
2: I remember you were hot on arson and hot on this arsonist. But I remember you thought he probably was innocent. That was the most interesting part.
1: Sheila told me that there was only one way to find out. Get an interview with John Orr. And a couple of weeks later, that's what I did. As I was going there, I remember thinking, how crazy. This guy was facing life in prison, and the biggest pieces of evidence against him were his own words. I'd read points of origin, and I wanted to know what was fact and what was fiction. Now, I was about to find out. In the spring of 1992, I pulled up in front of John Orr's little two-bedroom house. It was on a quiet street, sort of tucked into the dry, fire-prone hills outside of Glendale, California. Orr was there under house arrest. He was awaiting trial for the fires around the Fresno Arson Investigators Conference. And I just remember being super nervous, and not nervous because I was going to be sitting with an alleged arsonist, but nervous because I really didn't know what I was doing. He had sent me a copy of the manuscript of his novel and so I'd read that, I'd prepared. But I was super nervous because I'd never interviewed anybody for a crime documentary. I I didn't know exactly how to do what I was trying to do. His wife Wanda came to the door. Wanda was very nice John was in the living room, and we sat in chairs in a very small living room. A glass of water or
3: something? Sure. Uh, or Coke, or Yeah, a diet, diet,
1: diet Pepsi would be great. He had a bunch of knickknacks around him, most of which were fire-related. There were some little Dalmatian ceramics. He had ceramics of firemen. He had a big Dalmatian stay, dog. Stay. Your
3: dog's name is... Domino. How long have you
1: had him? Uh, about a year and,
0: about a year, I guess, just over a year. He's He's been my salvation here. He just hangs out at my feet all day, and uh, if I've been working at the desk, uh, working on the case for three or four hours straight, uh, he knows when it's time for me to get down, go outside and take a break. He's uh, He's been a real companion, a real buddy.
1: He had awards that he'd received, kind of memorabilia. here's a box with old newspaper
0: clippings and such, which uh, one of my ex-wives kept for me when I was, you know, my first year in the uh, fire department, uh, when the the arson team that I was a member of uh, first started.
1: They suspected this guy of setting hundreds of fires, you know, and they'd only accused him of a few of them at that point. I was like, how is it possible that this guy could be the perpetrator of these things? He just seems so unassuming.
3: Um, okay.
0: Testing, testing. Okay, I'm okay on the level here. How about you?
1: It doesn't really matter.
0: It doesn't matter about you, huh? We don't care about you.
1: At the time, I remember being very skeptical that he was guilty. I remember thinking, they're building this case on one fingerprint that didn't match him the first time around. And the fact that he attended two arson conferences and the fact that he wrote a novel that seemed to depict a lot of the arson fires that he was accused of setting. Um, Let's talk about the novel. A key part of the government's
3: case is the novel. Um, Tell me about it. What's it called? What's it about?
0: It's called Points of Origin. It's a novel about a fireman who sets fires. The prosecution contends, number one, that the the novel is the confession of John Orr. And that uh, I know about all these fires and I can intimately describe them because I was the arsonist.
1: Orr said he got the idea for his book back in 1987 after he attended the California Conference of Arson Investigators in Fresno. One
0: of the lead investigators from Fresno Fire Department approached me, asked me if I'd had any fires in retail businesses uh, during open and operating hours. And I asked him why, of course, and he said, well, we've had fires during the conferences up here and we're finding cigarette match devices. His inference was, we think it's somebody attending the conferences. And I thought, well, this is an interesting story.
1: He's an arson investigator, He's got access to all this information because of his job. Why would he write about it if he was doing it? But at the same time, I thought, yeah, there's an argument that he did this and that he was setting these fires and that he was writing about it and he was using his role as an arson investigator as a cover. I I kind of kept going back and forth between those two things. It never occurred to you that having an interest in these fires, whatever
3: little bits of research you were doing, and if somebody found out that you were writing this book, that some suspicion might be thrown upon you.
0: No, I, I had no fear that I would be a suspect, or else I wouldn't be writing.
1: But investigators thought that Aaron Stiles, the serial arsonist in Points of Origin, was, or that he was writing about himself. Your
3: uh, antagonist, Aaron. Tell me about the character and. In- The character Aaron
0: is a fireman who's been on the job about eight years, I think.
3: And Aaron, his personality,
0: uh, or lack of it, is based on the arsonists that I've arrested and interviewed over the last 10 or 12 years. And I didn't develop much from the interviews with these arsonists that I had arrested because psychologically they're quiet, they're insecure, they don't share much, they don't open up to you, uh, unless they're talking about their fires.
1: Orr said that there was another character in his book who was based on him an arson investigator named Phil Langtree.
3: Tell me about that character and tell me about who he's based on.
0: <laughs> There's no doubt that the guy in the novel is me. Right from the number of marriages to uh, the location of the city, even though it's not articulated in the book that it's Glendale. It's a medium-sized city just north of Los Angeles, and, you know, I wrote
1: about me. In the book, Phil and Aaron are opposites. Phil is outgoing, brave, popular with the ladies. Aaron is a creepy loner. But reading the book, I noticed that they had something in common.
3: Phil, at one point, you know, he, he comes back and his, his roommate he sees Phil has an erection and he says, must have been some fire or something like that. Right.
0: You look like shit. Didn't you go to work today? Bill queried. Yeah, it was really busy and I came home at four and just crashed, Phil said. Judging by the size of your dick right now, I'd say it was a pretty good fire, Bill said. Phil flushed as he realized that he had stripped down to his shorts and his erection was still quite obvious.
1: Like Aaron, Phil seemed to be turned on by fire. It seemed to
3: me that there was some sort of link there between Phil's arousal and the fact that Aaron gets sexually excited by fires.
0: Well, I was going to parallel Phil. In the book to Aaron somewhat having an excitement about fires but in a different capacity or in a different way Uh, and that's based on on reality somewhat I'd go out and and investigate a fire at three o'clock in the morning and come home icy cold outside and you crawl in next to your warm wife and you got all this adrenaline pumping been you know fighting crime and fighting fires and there's instant arousal my wife and I used to joke about that occasionally, and she would make a comment like, it must've been a hell of a fire. And I've subsequently changed that because I've had several comments about it that had indicated too much of a closeness between Aaron, the psychologically fucked up guy,
3: and Phil. Okay, and where does the sexual link to the fires come from? How did you come up with the idea? Very simply, sex cells.
0: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up,
1: The Conspiracy
0: Tapes. All right. Okay, we are back to record? Yeah. Testing? Okay, good.
3: The, the um, Cal's fire in the book, you based that on...
0: On the Ole's fire in South Pasadena.
1: At the time of my interview with John Orr, Investigators suspected that he'd set the fire at Ole's home center, but they had no hard evidence, no witnesses, no fingerprints. All they knew was that Orr had written about it in his book, with a level of detail they believed only the real arsonist would know.
3: Where did you get the um, vivid descriptions of how the fire started and how it kind of engulfed the building?
0: When we first got at the scene over there, uh, two of us were detailed to interview the last guy out of the building before it, you know, killed those four people. And he was one of the employees. So that short interview I had with this guy that uh, just barely got out with his life, literally, his description of where the fire started and what he heard and saw uh, is, is in the book.
1: I thought it was plausible. He'd been at Olie's. he had interviewed survivors. People say, write what you know, and that's what he did.
0: My knowledge of the fire, how it burned, uh, through subsequent interviews with investigators, I uh, just incorporated in the book.
1: But at the same time, I thought, man, there are a lot of arson investigators, even some of Orr's friends, who suspect him of being an arsonist.
3: Uh, some of your colleagues suspect that you did it, people you've worked with 18 years. Yes. And what I'm trying to get a sense of is why they, suspe- you know, why they would suspect you.
0: Uh, some of them have said, uh, well, gee, he always got there before
1: we did. Over the years, firemen arriving at fires in the Glendale area would often find that Orr was already there. And a number of them have said, uh,
0: oh yeah, where, where were you when the uh, the call came in? Or, gee, how come you got here so quick?
1: And Orr seemed to have an uncanny ability to find the point of origin of a fire and the incendiary device that started it.
0: Last year, as an example, we went to a fire that had already been looked at by two investigators for about 15 minutes. I show up, but as I was looking over their shoulders, talking to them, I looked into the burned area, and then a little piece of magenta-colored paper caught my eye just outside of the burn. I looked a little closer, and I pointed over their shoulders and said, Why don't you go look at an area over there? And lo and behold, they found a, a device that was constructed out of a, a piece of a firework that had gone off.
1: After his arrest, one of those investigators said, no wonder Orr was able to find all those incendiary devices at fires. Nobody could be that good.
0: They said, there's no reason anybody could go in there and find this thing after we were already in there looking for it. People like to do that. They're like vultures circling. And when the body drops, then they go ahead and put their two cents worth in.
1: I mean, the only thing that gave me a bit of an inkling that there's something more going on here is his insistence that the people that were investigating him were jealous of how good he was.
0: And their statements were basically, nobody can be that good. Uh, But my response is, I am that good.
1: Or I remember saying, if you ever meet up with that investigator. You tell him I was that good. His competitiveness, his desire to be recognized as the best arson investigator was something that he had spent a lot of time cultivating. I guess of anything in those early days, that's the thing that gave me pause.
3: Why are you doing
0: this interview? I have a need to get my story out, my side of the story. In a way, trying to, to rebuild myself and my career. I had a need to, to share and to talk about this situation as much as I can. Uh, maybe it will get somebody's attention within uh, the federal investigative services to pay attention. Oh.
3: Break for a second. Well, that's a cold, hey, huh? Domino? No. What has this done to
0: you, you and your family? It's hurt my family life and my family. Of course, my standing in the community. All this is, is is difficult to deal with. I won't say it's ruined my career because after the trials are over with, I fully intend to go back to work. I'm not going to give up a seventy thousand dollar a year job, a career that I've developed. It'll set me back a little bit. Yeah, credibility-wise, there'll still be people out there that say, "Hey." You know, are we really sure just because he was found not guilty? But that's what I expect will happen. But I fully expect to be exonerated, and the hell with it, I'm going back to work.
1: When I had finished my interview with John Orr, I brought the tapes back to my new boss, Sheila Nevins. You listened to the audio tapes.
2: Oh, I would definitely have done that. I mean, I'm an obsessive. Yeah, and, I would yeah, have and done that because of my OCD. I would definitely have done that. You,
1: and, yeah. and you came in on Monday and said, I had your voice playing through my house uh, <laughs> over the weekend. It was all Carrie and this arsonist.
2: It was an eeriness, a kind of spookiness to his presence. You also told me, Carrie, that he was there at a lot of those fires. There was something strange in the fact that he was always present I remember thinking, oh boy, this guy, he's guilty.
1: At the time, I was shocked that she thought that because I definitely hadn't made up my mind. She said she saw it in his body language and the way he evaded explanations. I thought he was a little strange, a little too conscious of his story and explaining things away, but I was not sure he was guilty. In the end, Sheila hired me full-time, but she passed on doing the documentary. And I sat with that for a while, the idea that maybe this guy wasn't who I thought he was, that maybe I missed something. And then this happened. Former fire captain John Orr was sentenced today. Orr was convicted of setting three fires around that arson investigators conference in Fresno. The former top arson investigator sentenced to 30 years in prison. Orr would be eligible for parole in 10 years. But he was facing another trial for the Pillow Pyro fires in Los Angeles, and there he was offered a deal. Plead guilty to three of those fires, and no time would be added to his sentence. He took it.
0: In California, a man who once made a living investigating suspicious fires has admitted being an arsonist. Now he's serving a 30-year sentence for confessing to the unthinkable, starting half a dozen fires.
1: News of the plea reached a district attorney in Los Angeles named Mike Cabral. Ever since Orr's arrest, Cabral had been looking into the Ole's Home Center fire. He pleads guilty in Los Angeles to a Builder's Emporium store fire set in polyfoam pillows. It was that plea that I felt was most significant for our case. Cabral suspected that the Ole's fire was also set in polyfoam. This was a nice piece of evidence. Now we have him pleading guilty to a crime committed in our community
0: that is similar to the crimes we are looking at.
1: John Orr had made a big mistake.
0: John Orr was a veteran firefighter, a respected arson investigator, and a captain with the Glendale, California Fire Department. Today, the 49-year-old is back in court,
2: this time not only facing charges of arson, but also of murder.
1: That's next week on Firebug. Firebug is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. It was created in association with Crime Story Media. This episode of Firebug was produced by Michelle Lance with help from Ryan Swikert, Neil Dinesha, and W. Harry Fortuna. Ryan Sweikert is our senior producer. Story editing by Mark Smerling. Carrie Antholis, that's me, is your host and executive producer. Kevin Shepard and Alessandro Santoro are associate producers. Our archive producer is Brennan Reese. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Michelle Lance. Music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, and Marmoset. Voice acting by Levi Petrie. Our title track is Young Men Dead by Black Angels. Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at Firebug Podcast. If you've enjoyed Firebug, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening.